In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you go with me in the Word of God to the book of Matthew? The book of Matthew, chapter number 16. I think that's where I want to go. Yeah. Again, thank you for being here today. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. It's good to see some familiar faces. And I believe God is doing a work. Amen? I, um, familiar place in Scripture to some. We're not going to read the whole chapter for sake of time today. Um, but Matthew 16, we find when we get to chapter 13 that Jesus and his disciples are at Caesarea Philippi. And uh, they are there, and it's there that Jesus began to ask questions of them. The first question that Jesus asked his disciples, he says to them, who do men, who, do, who are people saying that I am? It's a fair question, I suppose. You ever ask somebody, hey, what are people saying about me? Right? I don't know necessarily that Jesus was asking it in that way. Again, he did everything with a purpose. But he was asking them, what are you hearing? Who do men say that I am? And they spoke up and said, you know, some say you're, you know, John the Baptist. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets, you know. And, they, and he listens. And then he asks a more important question. This is the question we all have to answer. He says, but who do you say that I am? See, there comes a point in our walk, in our relationship with God, where we can hear what everybody else says, but somewhere along the journey, we got to determine something for ourselves. Well, but they said, well, some say, well, Jesus said, who do you say? Who am I to you? Now, it is, of course, Peter that speaks up in verse number 17. And he says, you're the Christ. Now, that was saying something. All the disciples there, the apostles, they were Jews. To say, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're God come in the flesh. You're the one we've been waiting on. You robed yourself in clothes. You've come. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was a declaration. Jesus said to him, that was verse 16 actually where Peter said that. Verse 17, Jesus said to him, you're blessed. But he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This is important. Peter, you did not realize or get the revelation of who I was in your human Reasoning. This is not natural understanding. This was not flesh and blood that revealed this to you. To truly have the revelation of who Jesus is, there's got to come a revelation from God that comes from heaven. The revealing of himself to us. 
And so there this declaration comes. Now, it's powerful. It's beautiful. Peter just had revelation, spiritual revelation, right? Not flesh and blood, spiritual revelation. Does that make sense? He got revelation. You ever got revelation from the Lord? You're like, wow. I, wow. Something speaks to you or ministers to you. Wow, that, I've never seen that before. That makes sense to me. Oh, I have understood. Wow. Peter just spoke. You know, he probably felt pretty good, Brother Johnstone. You ever said something, you're like, surprised yourself? You're like, wow. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You're as human as I am. Peter might have been feeling, and not only that, Jesus complimented him. Well, it may have seemed like a compliment. I don't know that Jesus was complimenting him. Jesus was saying something to the whole group. Hey, he didn't figure this out on his own. He's not smarter than you. He got revelation from my Father in heaven. But Peter was human. I don't know for sure, but I thought he was over there thinking, <laughs> yeah, buddy. It's easy for us in our human nature to get that way. Right? Don't look at me like, oh, no, not me. I'm so humble. I'm so... No, 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 we're human. We're human. Peter was human. Just in case you doubt it, he shows it. So this happens. What a momentous occasion in Scripture. What a powerful revelation that comes. What a bedrock of the church. Because we read verse number 18. Jesus said, you're Peter. And upon this rock, this rock of revelation of who I am, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What a powerful revelation and word of God. And so we follow that. And Jesus says, you know, look, you can't, you skip down to verse 20, he tells his disciples, look, you can't share this right now. It's not the time that you do this. But watch verse 21. After this revelation, this is what I want us to notice today. We got context. I went through that part so we'd have context. Understanding of the whole. From that time forth, Jesus began, or began Jesus, to show to his disciples. What did he start showing them? How that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And raised again the third day. Notice the moment they got the revelation of who he was. He began to talk to them about suffering, death, and rebirth. The moment they got the revelation of who he was, from that time forward, he started talking to them about suffering, about death, and resurrection. Hmm. You want to know who Jesus is? I do. This is important. We cannot know who he is and have the revelation of who he is without then beginning to learn from him about suffering, about death, and about resurrection.
resurrection. It's the reason that the Apostle Paul declared after he had the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, he was on the road to Damascus persecuting the church because he thought he was doing the work of God. He didn't have the revelation of who Jesus Christ was. He thought they were still waiting on the Messiah, and he thought all these people following Jesus were following some false Christ. And so he had letters from the high priest to go and take people captive, right? He didn't have the revelation that Peter declared. And so he's, you know this story? He's on the road to Damascus. Read it in the book of Acts. He's on the road to Damascus, and a bright light shines down from heaven, brighter than the light of the sun, even though it was the middle of the day at noontime, and strikes him down there on the road, and he cries out in desperation. This man who has sat at the feet of Gamaliel, learning the Old Testament law, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, touching the law perfect, he said, of his own self. He was all these things, had learned the law, and here he thinks he knows God, but he's struck down by this light on the road to Damascus. And his first question of all questions, a very learned man in the Scripture, his first question is, Who are you, Lord? Read it. He was declaring, I have human knowledge, but I don't have spiritual revelation. I have flesh and blood knowledge of God but I don't have spiritual revelation of who He is. You with me? And so the Lord, and if you study the Scripture, Lord, L-O-R-D, nice four-letter word. Paul, using that word as a Jew, would have been speaking of the Lord Jehovah, the Lord of the Old Testament, the one he knew, Lord Jehovah, that he'd learn. Who are you, Lord God Jehovah? And the Lord responded to him and said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Hold on a minute. The Lord God Jehovah is Jesus. He was the Messiah. I missed it. He did do what the prophet Isaiah said. The child was born. The son was given. He was the counselor, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace. He was the almighty God, Isaiah 9 and 6. The child, the son, everlasting father, the almighty God, the one and the same. Paul said, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. He got revelation, not from flesh and blood. Just like Peter, he got revelation from heaven. Now, with revelation comes responsibility. With revelation comes responsibility. And so once we know who he is, he begins to speak of suffering. So, so Jesus, here we're back in verse 21. Jesus begins to show them the things he's got to suffer and that he's going to be killed. Now, imagine... That you have been spending the last three and a half years of your life, or three years or so of your life, with a small group of people teaching, learning, sitting at the feet of this, of this clear man 
of God. But now you've got the revelation. It's more than just a man of God. It is the very Son of God. It is God and man, fully God and fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've spent three years together, eating together, camping out together, walking together, watching miracles, seeing amazing things take place, and your hearts have been knit together. Your lives have been knit together. You've come to know one another and care for one another and desire to be in the company of one another. I mean, all of the men that are following Jesus, they left everything to follow Him. Peter and John and James, they left their nets and walked away to follow Him. Matthew got up from tax collecting and left it and followed Him. All these men left and followed Him. At one point, Jesus said when all the crowd walked away, He turned to His disciples. He said, will you go away also? Peter said, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. They were close. They were knit together. They were, dare I say, friends even. And now they've got this revelation that has been declared by Peter. And then he starts telling them, I'm going to have to suffer. I'm going to have to be killed. I have a question for you. If you have a dear and close and precious friend whom your heart and your life is knit with and you learn that they're going to be suffering and going to die, what is your response? Good luck. God be with you. Hope you're not my friend. No, right? Human nature, human compassion, if you got a heart, says, oh no, I want to try to help. But watch. Jesus shares these things, verse 22. This is where we're getting to. When he shared that, Peter took him and began to rebuke him and said, be it far from you, Lord. This shall not be to you. We're probably all Peter. Watch what Jesus said. First, oh, Peter, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. It's, 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 it's okay. That's not what he said. He turned and he said to Peter, Peter, get. Matter of fact, he didn't even call him Peter. He just turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. Okay. Hold on a minute. I was trying to express care and concern for my dear friend. But clearly somewhere I got off the rails. You ever felt like you said something you're like, okay, that was clearly not the right thing to say. I thought it was the right thing to say. But this is one of those showstopper moments. I think of those little Southwest commercials you want to get away. Right? This is one of those moments where I wish I was like out of the room. Okay, I just... Can you imagine how Peter felt? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Get behind me. And not only that, not only did he call him Satan in front of everybody else, but then he said this, you are an offense to me. I sort of picture it like a, a I was going to say a Mike Tyson combination, but half of you in the room don't probably don't even know who Mike Tyson is. But I, I, he's a boxer. I picture it like a boxer combination. It's like, this wasn't just a blow. 
This was like a combination of blows. Satan, you're an offense to me. Oh, and just for the knockout, you don't savor the things that be of God. Come on, these are real men. Peter just heard all this. Satan, you're an offense to me, and you don't savor the things that be of God. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? There is a reckoning here. There is a reckoning here. And it is one that every single one of us, if we get the revelation of who He is, and we purpose to begin following after Him, and walking after Him, and submitting to His will, His plan, and His purpose, we're going to come to this place of reckoning. I want you to notice... Peter, just a few verses before, had revelation of the Spirit. But here, in a moment of watching someone, hearing that someone was going to suffer, stepped back into his natural emotion, his natural way of thinking, his human understanding, and began to speak out of human understanding rather than spiritual revelation. And this is, there's, there's a lesson here. This is what happens to you and I when we hear, see, or observe something that isn't going the way we thought it should go. It's what Brother Lewis alluded to briefly with Naaman when Naaman went and he said, go dip in the Jordan seven times, you'll be clean. He was mad. And if you look at that verse that they put on the screen when he was reading that, it says, Naaman thought. He had his own idea about how things would go. His own idea about how things would unfold. And that was not it. And I would imagine that Peter was the same. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What you've been doing these last three years, what we've witnessed these last three years, the miracles, the way people are starting to follow you. I'll tell you what the disciples thought. They thought he's going to get such a big following that will finally overthrow the Roman government. And Israel will be stored, restored as a kingdom once more. That's what they thought. That's what Israel believed. That's why Israel's still looking for the Messiah. Because Israel is still thinking in the natural. They're still thinking that one day the Messiah is going to come. He's going to establish His kingdom on the earth. Israel's going to be restored in its rightful place. With Him, the King of Kings, ruling and reigning. And they're right. But that's the second coming, not the first. And they missed the first. And so when He comes the second time with all of His saints, that's you and I, we're filled with the Spirit, and we're caught up to meet Him in the air, and He returns for the millennial reign. The Scripture says He's going to come back in the same way we saw Him go, which means that the second coming, again, I shared this on Thursday night, the second coming is not the rapture or the catching away of the church. The rapture and the catching away of the church, He doesn't come back to the earth. The Scripture says, we will see him and we'll be caught up together to meet him in the air. So the Lord Jesus doesn't return to the earth until the millennial reign. Then he'll come back again and the scripture teaches us. He'll set his feet down again on the Mount of Olives. That's the second coming of Jesus. When he comes back to the earth. Not when he comes in the clouds to take the church away. Because when he comes the second time and sets his feet down, the church has already been caught away and we're coming back with him to rule and reign. Praise God, that's exciting to me. So you better learn to 
You better learn what it is, just a side note, to have him be the king of your life now or you'll never reign with him then. You better learn to let him govern. Listen to the first service. You better learn to let him govern your life now so that he knows he'll be able to govern it then. If he can't govern my life now, why would he allow rebellion into the kingdom? Because that's what it is. If I'm governing my own life rather than him, that's open rebellion to the king. Okay, so we digress. So the second coming, they were there. That's how Israel believes. And they're right. They just missed the first coming. And so they're always thinking in the natural. Are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to restore the kingdom? And so when they hear that he's going to suffer and die. Whoa, hold on a minute. That does not fit the plan that we've worked out in our mind, Lord. They were expecting him to keep gathering people to himself. Keep getting this following. And then ultimately he's going to overthrow the Roman government. And Israel will be established. And they were so ingrained in their thought. That even after he died and rose again, before he ascended from the Mount of Olives, we find in the book of Acts, there on the mountain, his, or right before he ascends, we find the disciples asking him one more time in Acts chapter 1, verse 5 or 6, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? They were still looking for the establishment of an earthly kingdom. And so Peter, when he declared these things that we read here, his human nature, his human understanding was battling with the spiritual work that God was doing. And don't think for a minute you and I are any different than Peter. Our human nature, our human element, what does it do? It battles with the spiritual work of God. Why? This is what Paul was talking about when he says the carnal mind, my human understanding and my human reasoning. He said the carnal mind is enmity with God. It opposes God is what that word means. That carnal mind, my human reasoning, my human intellect, my human understanding, it opposes God. It's enmity with God. It's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. That's what Paul said. That's the word of God. I can't make my human mind subject to the will of God. I need spiritual revelation. I need spiritual understanding. I need a heart that's willfully obedient to God. Even when I don't understand, I'll trust Him. But Peter declared in his human understanding, not so, Lord. To any onlooker that only heard that part, they would think, oh, how Peter loves him. Thank goodness somebody's speaking up, and I'm sure Peter loved him. But Peter's human understanding was in direct opposition to the will and the plan of God. And the Lord said three things. He called him Satan because Peter in his human understanding had opened his thoughts to thoughts that were not of God. That's why the Lord called him Satan. Anything that tries to get you and I and keep us from fulfilling the purpose of God for our lives is of the adversary. And Peter, with his words, was trying, not trying, was definitely opposing the will of God for the life of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus called him Satan.
He didn't stop there. Here's the second thing. Peter, Satan, you're an offense to me. The Lord's trying to teach us something about our human nature. If we're going to walk with God, we're going to have this revelation of who he is. There will be things that come. They will either offend our human nature or they will offend the spirit of God. And the adversary looks for a way to bring offense to the will of God. Somebody hear me this morning. The adversary looks for a way to bring offense to the will of God. And don't think for a minute we don't get some clarity about it right here in the word. Do you know where the avenue of offense came? It came from a caring heart. Let that sink in for a minute. The avenue of offense came. Peter cared about Jesus, did he not? Peter loved Jesus. And here's the challenge. Peter's human emotion gave avenue for offense. We could talk about just that today, but we won't for sake of time. Peter's human emotion, his care for someone, gave avenue for offense. He could not see the will of God in what was shared. He couldn't see the will of God in what was taking place. Why not? Because in his humanity, he cared so much. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Say, man, I guess the preacher's telling us we shouldn't care. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is sometimes the things that God does brings hurt and suffering and pain. But we got to have a confidence. God's in control. He knows what He's doing. I'm not going to let my human emotion give room to offense. I'm not going to let human emotion, human care, human compassion open the door to an offense. God's greater than every circumstance. God's greater than whatever's going on. I may not understand. I may not see. But God will see the final word. He'll have the final word. Human emotion opens the door to offense towards the will of God. That's exactly what happened with Peter. His human emotion opened the door to an offense against the will of God. So you see two parts. First, he entertained a thought. Right? The thought of the adversary. And then his human emotion got involved with the thought. See, I told you we're all a little like Peter, aren't we? Then his human emotion got involved with the thought. The thought seemed like a good thought. I care about it. His human emotion got involved. Now it's an offense. You with me? And then Jesus gave him the answer to why it happened. Peter. You don't savor the things of God, but the things of men. Or he could have just as easily said, Peter, you savor the things of men more than the things of God. That word savor there is an interesting word. It, 
I wrote it down so I don't say it wrong. I had to find where I wrote it. It's an interesting thing here. Watch this. It is. It's a very strong word. It means to exercise the mind in discernment. To have, watch this, to have an opinion. Ow! Ow! So here's what Jesus literally said. Satan, you're an offense to me. Here's why. You do not, let me pull this back up. You do not exercise the mind in discerning the things of God. But your own opinion. That's literally the word that Jesus used there. With that word savor, that one word savor, that's what it means. You don't exercise discernment to know the will of God, but rather your own opinion. How did Peter, who had just had such great spiritual revelation, fall into this trap? Simple, the same way every single one of us have or will at one point in our life. Human emotion opened up and overrode a sensitivity to the will of God and a trust in God. Peter had the word of God, but human emotion overrode the word of God. Now, I know you and I would say, oh, no, as long as I have a word from God, I'm okay. No, 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 we're just like Peter. I can have the word of God, but human emotion. I mean, I'm all fine and good, but you start messing with my daughter. Ho, ho, ho. I may not be quite as spiritual as I think I am all of a sudden. Your parents, you know what I'm talking about. And then if you tell me they're going to be suffering, whoa, whoa, whoa. how can God be in that? Suffering? No, that can't be the will of God. Right? Yes, it can. I know that can be painful, but it can be the will of God. Does he know what he's doing? Yes. Has he lost control? Is hope all gone? No. Why? <laughs> Watch. This is the best verse. Verse 24. Oh, no, that's not the verse I wanted. Different passage. Well, let's read it, though, anyway. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Right? Take up. 
his cross and follow me. I want you to watch. We see more of what Jesus said in Luke 22. We go to Luke 22 and 31. Then we'll go back to Matthew. Luke 22 and 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. See, this is really the desire. This is why he'll plant the thought, and this is why he'll let human emotion get involved and open a door to an offense against the will of God. And this is why he'll cause us to lean on our human understanding and our opinion rather than spiritually discerning the will of God. You see, it's a process. It's not just it's an opening to a thought, then an entertaining of that thought in my human emotion that leads to an offense. And then the entertaining of that offense that leads to where I can't even discern the will of God anymore. And my opinion starts overriding all of that. What's happening there? I'll tell you what's happening. I know what I'm talking about, unfortunately, because I've lived through this in my own life. And my mind was so bombarded. I, had to, I couldn't seem to get my mind at peace. And I, I just had to, by the grace of God and the mercy of God, fall on an altar and say, help me, Lord. But here's what's happening in that process. Satan desires to have you so that he can sift you as wheat. And if the story ended there, it would be a tragic story. But watch the next part. Jesus is speaking. But I have prayed for you. I've prayed for you. That your faith will not fail. And when you are converted. Converted. Yeah, when you come back out of that place of human reasoning and thinking. And I bring you back into spiritual understanding. Spiritual trust, even if you don't get understanding. I want you to strengthen your brethren. Because they're going to need you to. The will of God will always have elements we do not understand. And you and I have a choice. I can yield into all of my human emotion and oppose it. But it's not right. It shouldn't be that this would happen. It shouldn't be that that. From the moment you got revelation, he began to tell him, I got to suffer. There's going to be suffering. I'm going to die. But that's not the end of the story. I will rise again. He's not done writing the story. See, what the adversary does is he says, if I can sift you as wheat, if I can get you to listen to the thought and give room to that offense and no longer give in to spiritual discernment, but to where you'll give so much room to that thought that now you just live in your own opinion. If I can get that and then get you to quit, you'll never see the fulfillment of the will of God. But if you'll submit all of that to the Lord and trust He knows what He's doing, even if I've made a mess of it, if I'll stay submitted to the plan and the will of God, He has a way of bringing it and working all things out for His good. And I'm going to take you right where we started. All things work together. All things. 
work together for the good. To them who love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. The difficulty really comes when I can't see how it serves my purpose or the one where my emotions tied. See, that was the challenge for Peter. If he dies, how does that fulfill the purpose we had in mind of him establishing his earthly kingdom? It doesn't. Did Peter know the will of God? He did. As far as the establishing of the earthly kingdom, that's the will of God. Peter just didn't know the timing of God. He just had the wrong timing. It's important for somebody. The Lord will give us glimpses and pieces of His will and His plan. I firmly believe the will of God is made up of two parts. It is the plan of God and the timing of God. If you don't have both, you'll miss the will of God. And the challenge is when we get the plan of God, but we don't have the timing of God. And because we have the plan of God, revelation, you with me? We have revelation. We know some things that God spoke to us. And then circumstances, situations, events seem to be going contrary to what we knew God spoke to us. Anybody ever had that happen? But I know God. So do you still believe His word and just trust it's not His timing? Or does human emotion kick in and I entertain a thought that's not of God? And I get an offense toward men or towards God. And then I lose spiritual discernment and start trusting in my own opinion. That's exactly what happened to Peter. According to the word. Take hope. Jesus said, I've prayed for you. Now you may sit here and say, well, that sounds nice, but he was saying that to Peter. Oh, yeah, he was. But we have scripture. And the scripture says of the Lord Jesus Christ that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Do you know that's in there? Oh, but hold on a minute. You got to hear the whole verse. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I've prayed for you. Not so that things will work out the way you think they should. Not so that things will go back the way you want them to be. But I know you've been getting sifted. I don't know who this is for this morning. I know you've been getting sifted. Maybe you got questions. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're just not. You just, I, I get it. Peter, I prayed for you. I'm making intercession. Jesus Christ ever lives. You understand, he rose again. He lives forevermore. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He's praying for you. 
Let's hurry up and finish. Matthew 26. I want you to see a contrast here. Trust his timing. Usually, we get the plan of God and not the timing of God. It's called trust. 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 You've heard me share it many times, but I'll share it again because it's a great example. Abraham knew the plan of God. How did he know the plan of God? Same way you and I know the plan of God. God told him. Abraham, first Abram, which means father. Nice name, no kids. Then the Lord says, ha, I'm going to change your name. Abram's like, thank you, Lord. I've been living with this name and no kids. Give me a different name. The Lord says, I am. You're no longer Abram. You're no longer father. Now you're Abraham, father of many nations. Thank you, Lord. You didn't make it better. You made it worse. Abraham, I'm going to multiply your seed like the sand of the seashore. I'm going to multiply your seed like the stars of the heavens. You're going to be a father of many nations. Those that curse you will be cursed. Those that bless you will be blessed. And Abraham, you're going to possess the gates of your enemies. That was the declared plan of God. Do you agree? It's the word of God. Abraham knew the plan of God. Here's the problem. Abraham did not know the timing of God. And so Abraham said, man, I got this burden here. I got the word of God. I got the plan of God. I'm going to make it happen. So, but no kids. He finally thought the problem is my wife. His wife, she's feeling the pressure. She says, Abraham, why don't you take my, my bondmaid Hagar and have a child? He does. Sure enough, it works. Has Ishmael. Abraham, here's the promise of the Lord again. And here Abraham does what you and I do when we got the plan of God, but not the timing of God. Abraham did exactly what you and I do. Oh God, can't you just bless Ishmael? Read it. That's what he did. He was saying, God, you haven't done what you said you're going to do. But I'm trying to help you. So would you just bless what I've done? I know we don't read it that way, but that's exactly what he was doing. He was as human as you and I. Would you just bless what I've done? And some of us are doing that in our walk with God. It's a limited walk with God. We're not wanting to just let His will be done in our life. We just want to do what we want and then ask God to bless it. And here's what the Lord said. Abraham, I'll bless him because of you. But Abraham, that's not my promise. This is important for somebody. Just because God blesses something doesn't mean it's God's plan. You better be careful if you measure God's plan by his blessing. He blessed Ishmael. Because Abraham asked him to, not because it was his plan. Isaac was his plan. Isaac was the timing of God and the plan of God coming together. Okay?
Is this okay? I'm finishing. I think. Matthew 26. I think that's where I want to read. Maybe. Yes, Matthew 26. Verse number 48. Matthew 26 and 48. Watch. And while he yet spake, he is Jesus. While he yet spake. Oh, that's... Did I say 48? Oh, sorry, 47. I apologize. And while he yet spake, Jesus is speaking, Lo, Judas, you've heard of Judas before, right? Not the standout of the 12 for a positive reason. While he yet spake, Lo, Judas, one of the 12 came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him, that's Judas, gave them a sign, saying, Whosoever I shall kiss... The same as he, hold him fast. Verse 49. And forthwith, he, Judas, came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master. And kissed him. Oh, he called Peter Satan. Wait till he talks to Judas. Buddy. Verse 50. And Jesus said unto him, friend friend where far are you come hold on a minute here here's Peter over here here Peter was there you know don't worry we're not done reading Peter was there Peter who's trying to protect him, says, not so, Lord. And the Lord says, Satan, you're an offense to me. You don't even discern spiritual things, but your own opinion. And Judas, who's going to betray him, he turns to him when he betrays him and says, friend. And that's not just like, oh, hey, friend. Like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or something. That word friend there is like one that's dear and close to you. Peter, Satan. Judas, friend. Why? I'll tell you why. Peter was opposing the will of God. Judas was bringing the will of God about. Anything that gets you closer to the will of God is your friend. Anything, no matter how kind, compassionate, and caring the emotions might seem, anything that keeps you from the will of God is of Satan. Friend. Now watch. Because, you know, Peter, Peter was a little wild. Peter, you know, you th- he probably learned his place after that last time, you know. Satan, <laughs> after that warm rebuke. Whew. Get this straight from now on, Lord. I want to be spiritually discerning. Let's read a little further about the friend, after the friend. Verse 51. And behold, one of them, 
They're nameless in Matthew's gospel, but they're not nameless in the other gospel. And one of them, I'll just tell you, it was Peter. If you read the other gospel, it was Peter. And one of them, which were with Jesus, stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck off a servant of the high priest, smote off his ear. What in the world are you doing, Peter? I've got some human emotion that's wrapped up in all of this. And I, I just can't. See, don't beat yourself up so bad sometimes. See, this is, we, we need to see this humanity of Peter. But the will of God is trying to be done. And he's getting pulled. And so he's like, oh, he's still battling that. Not so, Lord. Verse 52. Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For those that take the sword will die with the sword or perish with the sword. Verse 53. Do you think, this is what I want you to see. Do you think that I cannot now pray to my father? And he will presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? But then, or how then, shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. You know what Jesus just said to Peter? Plain English. Peter, do you think I've lost control of the situation? Peter, do you think that these people doing this have any authority that I'm not giving them? You remember the revelation you got, Peter, of who I am? They're not doing anything I'm not allowing them to do. They don't have any authority I haven't given them. Peter, I can say a word and 12 legions of angels will come to my rescue. Put the sword away, Peter. You're acting in your human emotion, but the will of God is being brought to pass. Peter, trust me. Trust me in this process. Trust me in what's happening. Submit it to me again if you've got to, Peter. Bring it back to me again, Peter. But I haven't lost control. I know what's going on. I know where you are, Peter. I understand it. Peter, put the sword away. Stop acting in human emotion. Yield to the word I've spoken to you and the revelation you've received in this journey. Would you stand with me this morning? Peter, if I called the 12 legions of angels, the will of God would not be fulfilled. That's what he said. I could do this, but if I do this, how would Scripture be fulfilled? part of the process this has got to happen now I'm going to say some things here as we finish that you may not like some of you are like I don't like a lot of the stuff you already said for the will of God to 
be fulfilled in mine and your life, there has to be some suffering along the journey. Not because the Lord gets pleasure out of you or I suffering. Here's why. The Word tells us why. The same reason Jesus had to suffer. How did Jesus learn obedience? Suffering. The word is clear. He learned obedience through the things which he suffered. What does that mean, he learned obedience? He learned that he could trust the direction of the Father. You want to know when it's the most difficult to trust and obey? When things aren't going well. And especially when things aren't going the way you think they should be going. Well, job's good, finances are good, family's good, marriage is good. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. Everything's beautiful. Lord, I trust you. Oh, yeah, now there's turmoil on your job, struggling in your home. You don't know how ends are going to meet. You don't know how in the world you ended up in the mess you're in. You still going to trust him? You know what the measure of trust is, right? It's not thought. The measure of trust is obedience. Obedience. Will I do what he says? even if it doesn't make sense. Jesus Christ learned obedience through the things he suffered. What does that mean? He suffered, but he learned. I got to stay true to the course. I got to do. You hear him in the garden. We're finishing where we finished this morning. It's sort of weird. Totally different direction, but we're finishing where we started this finished this morning. You hear him in the garden? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, what, what is he wanting to pass? Suffering. If it's possible, don't make me suffer. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. What you're I, I, I don't want to suffer, but you know what you're doing. And we can read later on. For the joy... That was set before him. He endured the cross. Despising the shame. Now he sat down at the right hand. Of the throne of God. Suffering was temporary. Suffering was temporary. Trust him with your life. He has not lost control. He knows what's going on. I can only say this the way it just came to me. Whatever you've grabbed hold of. To take control of. Give it back to him. Give it back to him. For somebody, give it back to him. Put it back in his hands. Put it back in his hands. Would you talk to him right now? Come on, put it back in his hands. He hasn't lost control. He hasn't lost control. He still answers prayer. His word to you will still come to pass if you stay in the process. Come on, he's able. He's able. He's able. 
He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or even think according to His power working in us. But i got to trust Him. i got to trust Him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You know my frame, Lord. You know where I am, God. You understand my makeup. You see the end from the beginning even when I don't, Lord. So I trust You. You know why you're doing what you're doing. I don't understand, but I trust you. You have a plan that I may not fully recognize yet, but I trust you. It hurts my human emotion, God. And clearly it opposes my will, but I trust you. I want your will more than my own, God. I want to see the fullness of your word come to pass. I trust you. You know what you're doing. You've heard every cry. Your word will not return void. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I trust you. I trust the operation of your spirit. I trust the ordering of steps. I trust the unfolding of circumstances. I trust your hand upon my life, Jesus. I trust you. Where I've tried to take control by your grace, I give it back today. Forgive me, Lord, for my unbelief. Help my unbelief. But I'll trust you afresh and anew this morning. Order my steps. Direct my thoughts, Lord. Give me grace to be obedient to your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let me not lean on my human emotion. I know it will be there. I know I'll have feelings. I know I have emotion, for you made me such. But let me not trust in them. Let me stand on your word. Let me stand on spiritual revelation that's been given, O God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. If my emotions open the door to offense, I pray, Lord Jesus, intercede on my behalf. Turn this heart, Lord, afresh and anew. I fall upon the rock today by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, renew my mind. Renew my thoughts. Lead and guide me in your will for your purpose and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. I will trust you. I will trust you. In Jesus' name. This can happen. We often think of big things, big circumstances of life, major moments of life. It can happen even in the small things. Small things. And usually it's the small things that become the big things. If we don't get this understanding and keep submitting to the Lord and trusting can I just give you a real and honest recent example? This may or may not shock you. So, so today, obviously, we started two services for the reasons that you all know. My human will, <laughs> I did not want to do two services. I'm just being transparent. I hope that's okay. 
Nothing against you. I hope you know that. I didn't. I wanted to stick with one. I liked one. I liked everybody together at the same time. And that that happened again. God's got a plan. My human will. You say, oh, come on. You're just doing what you had to do. No, no, no. I'm, I'm real. I'm, I'm trusting doing the next thing, but I'm having to push past my own will. Having to push past my own will. Now, if I don't purpose to do that, and I continue to entertain my opinion, go, ah, see, we should have just stayed with one. I get my human emotion will find fault with every little thing because it's contrary to my will. Does that make sense? I'll pick it apart. Well, this, if this, if that, if why did see? I should. We should have. We could. I. No, no. I have great peace. Not my will. And I'm not pinning roses here, like, oh, I'm such a martyr. I shouldn't. Please don't misunderstand me, right? Not my will. Selfishly, my will is one service. But I clearly have recognized that the Lord's been talking to me even today. He's got a purpose in all this. And I marvel because the ministry between both services has been dramatically different. If you get a chance and you desire to, go watch the first service. We stream them both. Dramatically different. The Lord knew who was going to be here. He knows what people need. And he's leading us somewhere together. Together. But I had to purpose. Okay. Here we go. Amen. Sometimes, most times, obedience has nothing to do with feeling. Nothing to do with feeling. I know what to do and I do it. That's obedience. I know what I've been told, I do it. That's a, I don't feel like it. I told my kids, I don't care if you feel like it. That's not the point, right? <laughs> Any parents know what I'm talking about? I don't feel like it right now. I didn't ask you if you felt like it right now. That was not the question. We understand that as parents? Okay. Our loving, caring, heavenly Father that knows what's best for us. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen. Would you thank him with me before we go? Father, we thank you today for your great grace. I thank you for the souls of men and women here this morning and the hunger of hearts. I pray let your word ride upon my heart today. Let your word ride upon my heart today. I need your word. I need your spirit, God. I thank you for the truth of your word that cannot fail. I receive it by your grace. I pray blessing and favor as we seek to walk in the will of God. Lead us in your plan. Give us an awareness of your timing, a sensitivity, Lord. Let us not look to our own opinions, but spiritually discerning the will and the mind of Christ. I pray let the mind of Christ be in us. That you would be glorified through us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I thank you, Father. I praise you, Father. I give you glory and honor today. In Jesus' mighty name.